I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school, and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. So Bruce Leon, welcome to Ditch Digger CEO, baby. I can't believe I finally made it to Ditch Digger. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> that is a mountain to climb, okay? I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Really happy to be here. Oh, we're, we're happy to have you. You know, we talked about it early on to try and get you on, and we finally got you now, and we're happy to have you. And, uh, you know, you know the routine. Have you listened to any of these shows at all? Of course. All right. Well, you know, you know the routine, buddy. We, you know, we always want to know, you know, we want we want to educate, and we want to just tell the story. And that we, I think we educate through telling the stories of, 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 of great business builders, entrepreneurs, and all that. And uh, so we'd like to hear about the upbringing of of Bruce Leon and and you know what uh, what what uh, shaped your mind to the mind you have today not just uh, not just your business mind because that that's a story in itself that we want to hear but definitely your faith your faith heart and and family heart and all the all the all the other things that that make you who you are all right so Amazing. so to start out let's hear let's hear about uh, right Q let's hear about what the upbringing and let's you know it. where where it all started yeah so you know I, I'm a native Chicagoan. Uh, actually done a little bit of family research, fifth generation. Uh, so uh, I'm committed to the city and uh, we're, we're in some interesting times for the city and the state. And uh, I'm not running right now, but we've got to work hard to get it back to where it should be a leadership state again, you know, where people are, where our, we have net people coming versus net people leaving. You know, that's mm, going to be that, a big challenge. That'd be a beautiful change. But uh, I grew up in the North Shore. Uh, my father was an insurance salesman. Uh, he came from... Uh, you know, kind of a very, uh, on the south side, Hyde Park area, working guy, worked evenings, worked hard. Uh, I was always kind of exposed. I, I can tell you that my father was a, had a stutter and was a very simple guy, uh, but he was a very good salesman, did pretty well. One time we went out to his, uh, uh, the corporate offices of Mass Mutual, you know, out in Springfield, Mass, you know, mm -hmm. these, these uh, you know, insurance company, you know, like a huge office building and every office was like laced in ivory. <laughs> and he could see that I was like really impressed. And he had made like salesman of the year, you know, whatever it was. And he could see that I was impressed. They had little bells on the table. I was about 11 years old. Like you, you, when you wanted your food to come, you went, you rang the bell and these big conference tables and everything. And then he looked over at me. I'll never forget. He goes, Bruce, 
I make more than all these vice presidents put together, okay? <laughs> a good salesman always makes more than the vice president, you know? And uh, that was kind of my lesson growing up, you know, is that, is that, you know, be an entrepreneur, be the sales guy, be the guy bringing in the business. Uh, don't get caught up in sort of that corporate uh, nonsense. And I think, you know, that was always sort of my, my way, you know, uh, ever since uh, I was younger, I had all kinds of things from uh, lawn services to, um, you know, snow plowing things and, in college, I ran a, a catering business. So, you know, I, I uh, and by the way, catering is one of the, I tell my team a lot of stories. I have from like the two years I ran, a, I ran a clam bake company out in Boston. And uh, catering is a business that you learn a lot about entrepreneurship. I mean, uh, I got, you know, some really classic stories about, because you got to think on your feet, right? You're in the middle uh, of a party. I, I have one story where I, I, basically this company was really kind of a, Shady little company owned by some very wealthy people. That brother was a little bit off, and they bought him this business to, so he'd have a living to make. <laughs> and he would he would book all these parties in the wintertime. And and then, you know, he didn't really – wasn't organized about how to, you know, get everything working together. You, we had a lot of younger kids working these things. So an idea would be we went out to Gloucester, Mass. And back in those days in the 80s uh, – New England had blue laws. You couldn't buy liquor on Sunday. Mm. So we're doing a bake at a, at a park. It was a wedding, you know, a Polish wedding. You know, we were late as always, you know, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and we get there and they're all, you know, where have you been? You know, the wedding party, they came from the church. They're all waiting for us at this beautiful park overlooking the ocean. And the guy says, just set up the bar right away. And I look at my my list, you know, and I, I was too young to do, as 21 was the drinking age, I was too young. <laughs> I didn't usually do alcohol bakes, you know, and I look at my thing and he's like, you do have the alcohol, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sweating like a dog, you know, and I said, yeah, yeah, it's in the truck right behind me. And I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, there's blue laws. There's nowhere to buy alcohol. This guy's, I call up the guy. He goes, give him a 10% discount. I go, are you kidding me? They're, hey, they're going to kill me. You know? And, uh, but as I tell my team, you got to think on your feet. So I, I had cash with me. I literally went to these people, you know, beautiful houses, Gloucester Mass, you know, it's like Lake Forest. I went to house by house. I said, I'm a 19-year-old kid. I'm at the University of Wisconsin. Oh, man. I said, I'm doing a bake over here at the park. It's a wedding. I'm supposed to have alcohol. I have no alcohol. There's anything I can buy out of your liquor cabinet. These people are like, I feel bad for you. They brought me the best stuff. <laughs> Top of the line, 25-year-old scotch and everything. Come on. I came back. The guy was like looking at it. He goes, oh, my God. You know, we didn't know the premium. And, and he was like hugging me and kissing me, you know. I mean, that's the kind of stuff, you know, when you're when you're working in catering, you got to do these kind of things. We did a, a, bla a bake for the black tie affair for Prudential Insurance downtown at the aquarium in Boston. I get there and... They didn't give me spoons for the soup, you know? And I, we're setting up the clam chowder, the first course. And the guy says, where's the soup spoons? And I said to my guy, where? He says, well, they didn't pack us any. So I, I, what am I going to do? I didn't freak out. I just grabbed the mic and I said, everybody, this is an authentic New England clam bake from the 1700s. I want everybody to pick up their bowl like this and start drinking. I had people drinking. It was coming out their sides of their faces and everything. Black tie oh, affair. Come on. You know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the one lesson I teach people in business that I learn is that things don't always go according to plan. I tell my team all the time, you're going out to do an enrollment meeting with employees. Make sure if you got hard copies in case the presentation that doesn't work out on the on the screen be ready to to to, to add you know right? yeah. don't don't freak out and just freeze and you know you know when you, when it happens think about how you can get yourself out and that was good training for me so you know 
we had, we had entrepreneur training. The other thing that I think was critical in my wait, life. Wait, wait, tell me that yeah. they're still doing now. They're, there's, there's, now they're still doing that same clam bake where they're drinking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they're today. still doing it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tradition there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we got away with it that time, okay? <laughs> we got away with it that time. But probably charged 20% more for that. <laughs> They enjoyed it. That was a good, that was the end of the day. The, the one that didn't work out so good, we did for Tufts University. You ever heard of Tufts University in Boston? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a college out there. You've heard of Tufts. So we did their graduation party and uh, we got out there and they all had tickets for either chicken or lobster. Lobster tickets were a little more expensive. Not every student could afford it. Typical for this company, they shorted me lobsters, okay? <laughs> so not only were we late, people were waiting this long line. They were already drunk because of graduation. And about halfway through, I told them we're out of lobsters, and these people been waiting. They had lobster tickets, and I got a picture from the Boston Globe the next day. All of our trucks were overturned. It was a riot. What? Over, all of our equipment was overturned. That was a that was a Whoa, tough one. That you know what I mean? Didn't work out so well. Yeah, that one didn't work out so well. The <laughs> students were. I couldn't appease those students. I couldn't just pull lobsters out of the hat, you know. But uh, but you learn. You learn. You learn how to think on your feet the best you can. And the other thing that I think that shaped me a little bit is um, I lost my mother when I was nineteen to. Um, to suicide. My mother was a really interesting person. She was an entrepreneur herself. Uh, she was in kind of a, her, her and my father were eight years apart. So my dad was a World War, World War II veteran. My mother was a hippie from the 60s. They were kind of like mismatched from the beginning. Um, and my mother started a ski shop that uh, had a partner that, uh, that uh, railroaded her for a lot of money. And mm-hmm. so uh, just things just didn't go well with her. And, and uh, I'm sorry kinda, to hear that. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So, know but, but you know, but what's really important is I talk about it because um, you know, I think you know, a person has two choices. I think everybody has stuff in their life that they can look back on. It was challenging. Mm-hmm. And resiliency is a big thing for me right now. I talk a lot about it. When I interview people, I love to hear people that came out of tough situations because I think that a person that comes out of a tough situation has two choices. Either they're going to sit around and feel bad for themselves mm-hmm. the rest of their lives and, and, and make that, and they're going to become alcoholics, and they're going to become drug abusers, and they're going to blame it all on the crappy things that happened to them, or they're going to make a commitment that they're not going to have that for their family and for their things, and they're going to be resilient. And I, I got to tell you something. My daughters are dating now, and uh, i uh, share this with you just because I'm a very transparent guy. Uh, you know, we, we in, our, in our community, uh, because I became more, more, um, more religious, I grew up kind of secular, but I became more religious. I married a girl from Canada that was more observant, and I took on it, and I love it. I'm very much part of the the faith community, but but uh, in our community, we we kind of uh, our daughters don't meet people at bars. They meet people that are, they're set up with, or kind of that they go on and they get a little bit of the background of the guy before. And and one guy was read to my my daughter. Literally, the the father was in jail for some kind of uh, uh, real estate fraud. He wasn't a good guy, but they had like seven kids in the family. This kid was the oldest, and he took it upon himself to like actually like work hard to like help the mother supporting the family and mm-hmm. everybody I, t- I talked to his high school teacher I talked to his they were all like this kid is unbelievable so, so yeah, here, here I does his due diligence on his, his daughter's <laughs> boyfriend huh? yeah yeah so, so it's wait, interesting wait, wait, my wife finished that you t- talked to, to his, his birthing doctor you yeah, talked no, no, to no, who we, else we, you talked to we, no we, huh? we, we talked to different people they, they have like a little bit of a resume and we do a little bit of pre-research it's just not a when you're drinking at the bar you meet somebody and you don't know who you're meeting we kind of but my wife is like do you really want to get involved and I said listen this kid sounds amazing. Now, right. you don't know what the deal's going on, but they're dating. But she went out with them and she said, this kid's really a super kid. So I, in my viewpoint, 
people have challenges that they That's don't right. control. This guy didn't have a control of that. Right. But he decided, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be different. And, mm-hmm. and I'm a big believer in resiliency today. Mm-hmm. I think we lack some of it among some of the millennials we see because the mother and father, they've in, even within our YPO group, they've helicopter parents. You know, they're mm-hmm. calling the professors. What are you doing? Giving a test on a Friday. My kid's tired, you know, <laughs> taking out of bed. Right? Am I right? You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and they don't really, they don't have the, the gut to really uh, fight off, you know, what's what's out there. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just give you one thing from my my, my forum group, and uh, I think I can say this because it was a long time ago, but we had a guy that, you know, was leveraging a lot to, he had sold the business, done fairly well, but was leveraging a lot to to really hit it big. And he had three kids, and and we were like asking, what are you, what are you, what are you risking off for? And he said, well, I want to make sure that I have enough money that my kids never have mm-hmm. to worry about anything yeah. in their life. And I told him, I said, you have it all wrong. I said, mm-hmm. we teach our kids that life is a roller coaster. I can't tell you you're not going to have sick kids or, you know, you're not going to have issues in a marriage. Things happen. Death, you know, you're going to have ch- What I can teach you is how to be resilient. I'm going to mm-hmm. teach you from the time you're younger, we're going to teach you how to be strong so you can you can fight through these challenges. I can't just throw money at things and make sure your life is all cushy mm-hmm. and cozy, never make a tough decision. And I think that's a problem today. We, we, we've, we've got this idea out there that, you know, we want everything just to be so easy and it's not easy things are things are tough out there so i'm a big fan of resiliency i i, I can tell you as gary knows i've i promoted a a president who is a guy from albania he's a muslim from albania i'm an orthodox jew i got a muslim guy working for it. he's a great guy he literally walked from albania at 17 years old to get over to this country and um he is the hardest working you know young man i've got a ukrainian woman as my seat but you know both of them came to this country with the idea of give me a chance to make mm-hmm. make it, give me entrepreneurship, give me give me a chance to prove myself, and I will work to the bone to, right. to get there. And I I really find it amazing, and I, I hope that we are not going down a bad path the way that we are sort of kowtowing to some of our, our younger generation, um, and and not really giving them the tools. Uh, in order to be successful, which is a lot about resiliency. So, so. so you're exactly, I mean, we see this in, in all our businesses, right? We have people, our team members that they're loving parents that just, you know, they, they're, they're, they're successful in their, in, in what they do. And they, one thing they want is their kids not to have to want, right. Or, or not to have to have to have those situations that establish their grit. You know, they, they don't want their kids to go through those, those challenges. Well, you know, as you and I know, those challenges are what build character, and they and they right. build and they build the grit that'll get you through problems in the, in, the, in the future. The resiliency you talk about, right? And and gosh, if there's anything you could provide, it's love. I mean, and it's free, right? Yeah. We can just provide love and 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 support, tough love at times because you better have plenty of that if you're going to raise good people, right? But it's not the stuff that matters, and that's something you know things you you figure out in life, hopefully early on in life and not too late in life. But but you can look around and see those kids that were given everything. I don't care if it's a if it's a middle class parent that that busts their butt to give their kid everything they can so they don't have to want for anything. That's a messed up situation, in my opinion, right? I mean, I'm not saying there's not good kids that come out of it because there are, right? But if you're going to have a, 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 a an adult that can't that can't fend for themselves, it'll come from that that environment, 100%. whether it's from a middle class family or from a multi billionaire family, right? And so. But, but, but like, as you say, how do you, how do you teach them resiliency? How do you, how do you give them enough love that they can get through anything? Because no matter how, how, how tough it gets in the future, uh, they look at things as, as blessings instead of crutches because they got their, they got that mother, father, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, buddies, friends that love them. 
right? Yeah. If you have that, you don't need you know things. Money and the, and things don't mean a lot in the grand scheme of things, as we find out in life, right? So one of the things I we did is uh, my wife and I were very much on board is that we we introduced them to people we considered heroes. So for instance, there's a, there's a man that we know. He's 88 years old, 13 years old. He's from Hungary, lost I his whole it. family in the Holocaust, you know. Mm -hmm. And here he was, 13 years old, and he was spending for himself. And he, and we got to know him, and we invite him over, and we he's now in an independent living home where kids go to visit him. They know his story. But we wanted to introduce him to people. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you all know people that, you know, got over like they lost a leg in a war or something like that, and people that are just amazingly uh, tough people. Mm -hmm. And we wanted them to experience these people so they could understand, hey, you know, this is look at what this person made of his life. And this guy happens to be one of the biggest jewelers down on the jewelers row. He really made it in his life. Never, never uh, sat around complaining about what, what he happened. He just figured he came to this country and he was going to make things better for his mm -hmm. family and for himself. But, you know, I think part of it is to expose our kids, you know, not just spend all the time at club med with everybody else that's in that, in that thing, but expose them to people who they can, they can actually talk to and make a relation with that they can hear those hero stories, mm, right? Because there's real, there's real people out there that have um, done incredible things. And I know you, Gary, through you, I've met a, a lot of those people. You love, I know you love meeting those people and hearing those stories. I mean, uh, everybody in my family knows the story of when Gary Rabine's, you know, dad told him, if you don't go to college, you're never going to amount to anything, you know? So uh, <laughs> No, no, yeah. no. My dad told me I was too, too effing stupid to go to college. <laughs> okay, you right, got right, that okay. wrong. My right. dad said, you're too effing stupid to go to college. I didn't go to college and look at all I got. You talk, You said you had an HR business. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, so let's talk about the business. Oh, all right. Let's talk yeah, about, yeah, business. about the business. So <laughs> I started out, um, I, I was a benefits uh, consultant. Uh, I, I was... Uh, Back in the days of HMOs and PPOs, I was somebody that got on the ground floor. I first worked at Blue Cross and uh, started to see back in the early 90s that managed care was a way for companies to uh, save on health and self-funding mechanisms. So I, I started learning that business and uh, became pretty successful, started my own agency. Uh, that agency still exists today. What year, what year is that? It's about uh, 19, uh, 31 years, so 89. Okay. And... Uh, um, uh, I still have some of my employees that have been with me almost 28, 29 years from the beginning of that. Wow. Um, and then about 95, 96, uh, I was asked to work on a project for this new concept uh, that was called the PEO, that was called Co-Employment Employee Leasing, where, where you could take companies, because back in that, those days, companies were starting to get faced with a lot of compliance issues. There was COBRA, there was OBRA, there was OSHA. There was mm -hmm. all these issues, and small business guys just were trying to be good they were trying to be good, uh, you know, make great parking lots, you know, uh, you know, make, you know, be great food manufacturers. They didn't understand about how you had to have EOC laws and how you had a mm -hmm. three bathrooms for two people. So, <laughs> you know, um, so we actually made it 35, you know, different. And this concept was not just to be a service provider where, okay, we'll give you HR consulting, but actually take the risk on ourselves. Like we come in and we'll, if there's an employee lawsuit, It'll be us. If it's workers' complaint, it'll be us. And I thought this was a great concept. It was a little bit before its time. We were one of the one of the first out of the gate. We started tandem then in, in 1997, and it was a complementary business to the benefits consulting business. Um, it was it was a tougher go in, in in the Midwest because everybody was sort of entrenched in the old way of doing things. And they all had a buddy that did this and a buddy that did that. You know, our concept was you don't need 19 vendors. You got a payroll guy. You got a workers' comp guy. You got a you got a, a 401k guy. You got all these different people. And we could do it one way, efficiency, save money, band together. In, in areas of the country like the Silicon Valley, this was becoming very, very hot because 
those were like brand new companies that were just starting up. So they didn't have like three guys at the country club that this guy, this buddy did this, this buddy did that, right? So um, in the coast and in Florida where you had a lot of new companies and you had a lot of issues with immigration, um, this concept started really getting very, very hot. And I was watching it and we, we started it and it was slow grow in the beginning, but you know, over time, it started to catch on, and now I really believe uh, two years, three years ago, at the very end of the Obama administration, um, we've, we've been fighting for federal recognition of the PEO business. It had been state by state. What does it stand for, PEO? A professional employer organization, okay. or the, the co-employee contract. And yep. there's about 600 of them out there. We're the biggest in Illinois. We're the biggest in the Midwest. We have offices in St. Louis and Milwaukee now. Um, very focused on the Midwest market. Um, and so... We've been, we've been trying to get this thing passed where we said, hey, just give us federal recognition because there's issues like what if a company is eligible for, um, you know, R&D credits or they're, they're in an entrepreneurial zone? Does it go to the PEO or does it go to the company, right? If, you, if there's a tax credit, you know, we want it to go to the company. We're just the administrative employer. There was always this gray area. So finally, we and every time we went to get a bill passed, the unions would block us because anytime you talk about outsourcing, they get nervous. And we were like, we had nothing to do with the unions. We're just here to make life easier. But the government started realizing, especially after Obamacare, that to get small business to comply was a nightmare. Yeah. So they actually went further than we ever imagined. And they actually came up with a design where we would go through this IRS compliance thing, which took us about a year. And literally now we are an IRS certified company. And so that means if you join us and contract with us, we are fully liable. So to the point where... We had ICE go to one of our companies that's in the laundry business. And, you know, when ICE walks into a company today, ICE is not like the IRS. The IRS walks into a company, they want them to survive because they want to have somebody pay that debt off, okay? ICE thinks nothing of just getting rid of 90% of the employees <laughs> immediately, right? And not everybody knows how to check for what's proper documentation, sure. what's not. We get a lot of phone calls when it's already too late. You know, a guy has a food company in Elk Grove Village and... Ice comes in and he he begs them. I've got contracts with Whole Foods. I got contract with, you know. Let me let me work this out for the next month or two. They're like, nope, everybody's out. You know, you wow. nope. So, but our guy got this guy. Ice walked in. They said we're with Tandem. Showed him the certificate. Showed him. The, they said, oh, we'll walk out. And they walked right out. Never have. Then they came to our office to get all the I nine forms. And of course, you know, we have everything documented. So from the government's perspective, we're actually a, we're actually a good thing for them because they know we're going to be the ones that are going to document all the compliance issues and make sure that it's a safe workplace, make sure like right now there's a new law that's been passed. You have to go through sexual harassment training every, every year. So we're, we're the ones checking the boxes. We make sure everything is on, on. So when we used to say to people that you have 20 laws to comply with, if you're over 50 and if you're over hundred, you have 30, that was 12 years ago. Now it's over 130. Okay. So they keep making these new laws, making these new laws. And you know, they think nothing. And I, and I say this in Springfield, I actually talked to, uh, Mr. Madigan, and we had a little bit of a disagreement. I was trying to get workers' comp reform down there. I said, Mr. Madigan, I respect you. I said, listen, I represent 400 Illinois employers, 15,000. I said, you know, workers' comp is cheaper in Wisconsin, Indiana. He said to me point blank, he looked at me, he said, Mr. Leon, with all due respect, I've heard good things about you. I know you're connected to some of the reps here. They tell me you do a lot of things. I appreciate all of it. But he said, let me tell you about workers' comp. A guy's been working construction for 20 years, he's entitled to some time off when he's 55 years old. He's entitled to it. Like, that's the way he made it seem like, like his knees are bad. So, you know, give him, let him sit for the next 10 years and, and uh, watch, watch Oprah. You know what I mean? Like, 
I said, that's totally the not what workers, for me, workers' comp is for that terrible accident that happens when somebody falls and breaks, like not just somebody that, you know, as, time off, yeah. you know, just time off for anybody. But, you know, Illinois, we need, we need, so, so basically, you know, the, the, the PEO model, it helps, it helps actually the government, it helps people. If they're going to pass all these compliance laws, at least let us help uh, the small, mid-sized businesses that are really focused on their business to be compliant. So, mm. you know, now it's, once that law, once the IRS certification thing went through, the big companies like ADP, trying to paycheck some of the public companies, their stocks did very well after that. And we've seen a probably a doubling in the business in the last two, three years. Oh, so wow. there's a big trend up with it. And I think it's not, people now look at it, they understand the concept. It's not a, it doesn't mean that they're not your employees. They still work for you. The checks still have the company name on it. We don't make decisions in, within the company. We're just the back office administrator. But that's the way some people think because they don't they don't have a business mind to think about net profits and margins and all this. Yeah, kind of if, stuff. if you can teach every every person on your team enterprise value, right, and, and right. how that affects all of our livelihoods, that would be great. But it's hard to do that, right? And it, and that changes, right? Whether you multi, it's a multiplier of EBITDA or it's a multiplier of, of, of revenues or depending on what type of business it is, right? It varies. And so again, if you can teach that person the, the 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 enterprise value and how it affects the enterprise value, then you might have something. Right. But it's not easy to do that, unfortunately, right? Right. Right. So I think you know one of the things that we've just stressed is is that we come in, we help with the compliance, we help with the getting better deals on on, on health insurance, better deals on on four hundred one k. But more importantly, they get they get assigned a, a professional, an HR person with fifteen twenty years experience, but that's also a business minded person who will advise them in decision-making from a perspective of, I understand what margin is. I understand what net profit is. Mm -hmm. I understand what it is when you do wages versus your, your cost of goods. Okay. What margin is versus this. And that unfortunately is lost because a lot of people mm -hmm. in those areas aren't really sophisticated to know that stuff. So to grow, you've, you've grown a lot in the last 30 years, right? I mean, yeah. from what to what? Let's. How do you measure growth? We started with two people. We're 120 people. We service about 400 clients. We've integrated. Uh, and then about eight years ago, I bought an EAP. EAP is an employee assistance program. Mm -hmm. I bought it from one of Gary's favorite places. Uh, we bought it from uh, uh, my brothers, the, the monks over here at the hospital where I used to run that the program, uh, uh, Alexian Brothers Hospital. Yeah. Uh, good guys. They had this EAP that back in the 80s and 90s, uh, Hospitals got involved in the EAP business, uh, mostly for alcohol abuse and drug abuse. As a way, uh, they would go to all the big employers, which is sort of mandatory to have an EAP. That's where you can call 24-7 if somebody's going through something, uh, you know, in the family or themselves with psychological. or, And they can get advice. And, and so the hospitals did that as a kind of in, internal referral. Yeah. What happened was is they came up with this law and they said, hey, if, if you're a hospital and you run a for-profit business, you could lose your tax exempt status. Well, Lexington Brothers is a $5 billion company. This company was a $3, billion, $3 million company that wasn't really making any money and it was going to endanger their whole tax free status. So they came to me and said, you know, we want to get rid of this company. And, and, uh, and, you know, we talked about it for a while and there were some issues, but I finally took them on. And so we're, we're we integrated that company into our offering. So, so typically they only serviced companies with a thousand or more employees now smaller employers get the benefit. And we've expanded that services to be financial, not just, um, you know, overdose and, and gambling addiction, but things like just financial advice. Because a lot of people today are under financial pressure and then mm -hmm. that, that affects their productivity. So, um, you know, we offer them financial 
accountants that will help them. So if, 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 if an employer sees that somebody's on the phone half the day with their bill collectors and their rent guy, you know, he says, hey, call the EAP after work and they'll help you straighten it out. Mm -hmm. Or if they have legal issues or going through divorce, whatever. So, oh, cool. so it, it's, it's all for us. It's about a productivity thing. It, it's mm -hmm. about giving them benefits that will make it, but that they can be more productive at work and they can deal with this stuff outside Absolutely. of work. So, so that's been, so we have the EAP, we have the benefits consulting firm. We wrapped them all into one branded thing under the Tandem HR family. Um, and now we, uh, you know, we, we were almost a billion dollars in payroll. Uh, wow. uh, so we, we really are managing, uh, a fair amount of uh, employees that were the biggest in, in, in Illinois, in the Midwest. It's still got a lot of room to grow. Midwest is still behind in terms of outsourcing uh, the rest of the country by about a third. Uh, we're still about seven, eight percent of small mid-sized businesses are outsourcing. And, and uh, so in that growth, the growth you've had and the position you're at as, as a leader in your space, what's, what's your biggest differentiators? What are the things you've done to differentiate yourself from the pack to, to swim out to that blue ocean away from the shark infested waters of competition and, and commoditization? Yeah, I, I think, I think we've had a very interesting balance. I've always been a very customer centric person. Mm -hmm. um, that's always been my mantra <coughs> is, you know, let's make sure we take care of the customer. Um, and we still have that focus, right? Um, I often give, all of our customers, my business card, I said, I'm available 24 six, not on Saturday, but there's other people that are available. Um, but I say, if you get, if we're up against ADP or up against another big company, like trying to, I say, if call up Carlos Rodriguez from ADP, the president, see if he'll give you his business card, see if you can call him at night, you know? Uh -huh. So it's always been my thing is that we can, we can do it. Now, you know, that's not always scalable. I understand that as you get into different markets, you know, you have to sort of think. And also I think I've learned that you have to also be employee centric for your for your for your key employees, right? You have to support them. So you know, every so often you get a customer that's really dragging on on on, a, on, on, a, on our team. You know, they have high turnover. They they don't listen. Um, they don't pay overtime. They they get involved in into they fire people in the elevator without even warning or you know all this <laughs> stuff. I mean, and 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 my team is constantly having to fight uphill battles, right? And we've kind of learned that I need at some point to support the employees in those situations. And you know, and the rule is, you know, there's sometimes you just have a customer that just doesn't fit your model. Yeah. You know, yeah. you probably know that in your business, just somebody that's always just ragging you lying to you so they can get something done for free, you know what I mean? And and so I've learned a little bit to sort of um, listen a little bit more carefully to my my key team and and know when to say, okay, this is a customer, or I can have a frank conversation and say, hey, you know, I, I wanna I love you as a customer, but here's the rules. And if you can't if you can't work with us, you have to go somewhere else for your business. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, my background, I don't know if you know, my background is actually in staffing, right? So some of the things that you're talking about, which, you know, and I, I actually, uh, I worked with Bank of America previously for like eight, uh, seven, eight years. And that's what I would, I, I wish they would um, notice from that perspective, like, because there's everything for them is high volume. So they want as many people as possible to try to be for productivity, but it never worked that way. Um, and it could have been because they just wanted any and everybody. So, uh, and I, I actually see that within, you know, entrepreneurs who probably have a little bit, they want productivity, but they just want anybody to try to just do something. Um, what would probably be some things you would tell some startups even now, like, hey, listen, once you're getting some employees on board or here's some things you should look at once you're getting some things started so you don't have to shoot yourself in the foot as far like, you know what, they didn't do what I told them to do, so they got to get out because right. you can't do that. 100%. I think... I think you have to first define who your ideal customer is, right? 
So in our situation, there, I remember we had a guy that came to us once he was in the, the trash hauling business. And he said, I hate my employees. You know, I just want you to be there to protect me from lawsuits. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we're trying to build, you know, Tandem's idea of, you know, everybody's there working as a team. You know, we're supporting the employers and the employees. And we realized over time that those aren't good customers for us, right? So I think first of all, for, for startups and, and entrepreneurs, is really understand that not every customer is going to be your ideal customer, right? You know, I, I tell my sales guys, you know, you walk down into a mall, you know, I think for the most part, anybody that's got between 10 and 100 employees for sure should be using an outsource company, whether it's us or somebody else. And so I think first lesson is not every customer is your ideal customer. Gary probably knows too, you know, some people that are just always out there bidding, 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 they're just going to drag it through the meat, right? So you, you try to find out who those customers are that you can really add value to, that appreciate your service, that want quality and, and, and focus on them. Because I'll tell you, you know, interesting story. We, 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 um, we brought this guy into help us. Uh, he's got a great book and I'm just, his name is leaving my head now, but he, he's a guy that he tells a story that, um, about a mailman. Uh, it's a famous story. The guy's mailman has been on Johnny on all the talk shows, Jay Leno and everything like that. But, um, he was living in, 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 in Denver and the, just moved into a big house there. And about the first week, the mailman comes by about 62 year old guy, about four foot 11. He says, Mr. So-and-so, can I just interview you for 10 minutes? Really? Mailman, you know, Tell me what you do for a job. What does the mailman want to know that for? I'm a public speaker. Oh, so you're out a lot. Yeah, I travel. To, okay, so 20 days a year, I got to make sure I bundle your packages, put them in the back for your Amazon packages. You know, what are your, you have a dog, you know, everything. And he found out that this guy was like the most amazing mailman ever. Everybody in the neighborhood says this guy is like, un, he knows every kid's name. He knows every, he knows when people are on vacation and he doesn't get paid a nickel more because the post office just pays everybody like by a set yeah. amount. And he's like, what motivates this guy? Like, and he, and he really kind of studied this guy. And this guy just says, I want to be the greatest mailman. I'm not, you know, looking for extra money. Even the people at the mail office hate this guy because he's making them look bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> he makes sure everything's done on time and makes sure everybody's mail's put in. So he came to me. I'll never forget this. He sat down with me and he said, uh, you got some star employees there? I said, I got some great ones. He said, you got some ones that are having problems? I said, yeah. He said, how much time do you spend with the great ones? Not much. They do everything on their own. What about the... What about the uh, what about the tougher ones? Oh, I spent a lot of time coaching them, you know, on performance review, and I'm trying to give them a second chance, a third chance. He said, you know, studies show that kids that are really, really good kids in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, by the time they get up to seventh, eighth grade, they start misbehaving in class because they realize that the kids that goof off all the time are the kids that get all the attention, oh, yeah. and the kids that just sit in the back and do all they're told don't get any attention. And he really made me aware of that. So I now have a thing where I walk around. And I actually recognize, we have a little board that recognizes the star. We give out a star employee of the month. And, and I, give out, uh, I give out this challah bread. It's a Jewish bread that my daughters make. People love it. Every Friday, because my daughters make a lot of it on Thursday night, make it for some of the poor families in our community. So I, we have a lot of it. And I, I walk around and I just say to somebody here, I heard you did something really special this week. But here, you know, And, and I, I, I try to spend more time with, with those performers because typically they do get lost a little bit. Yeah, they're, right. they're so good. We don't have to, you know, and, and we do the same thing with customers. We spend a lot of time with the, the customers that are dragging us down, the customers that are really good. We don't spend enough time with them. So I think part of what I would tell entrepreneurs is identify your good employees, that 80-20 rule, identify your good customers and make sure you're spending the time with them because those are the people that are going to take you to the next level. And it took me a long time to really kind of understand that and learn that. But I think I've, 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 I've kind of, Learn that from negativity, and I'm, I think I'm getting better at that. Cool. That was really good. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it is so true, right? I mean, it, it's the eighty twenty rule, as you said, and twenty percent of your team, twenty percent of your customers are delivering right. eighty percent of your value, right? Yeah. yeah. And then and, and we do tend to forget them. You're you're oil in the squeaky wheel, and you're you're not doing anything with yeah. the performers, which is enough with the performers, I should say, or the the customers and, and teammates that that perform. It's awesome. And then and then uh, you know and and the, and also the the. Uh, you know, f- you know, firing customers. When you're when you're young in business, you want everything and, and anything because you you think you need them all, right, right? right? But if you do what you said, identify who you want to be, right? Identify the customers that are the perfect customers, and then spend all your time going after them, not just everybody. That's hard for a person that's new in business, and it was hard for me. I didn't I didn't really figure that out for 15 years, probably, right? And, and then if I if I look back in that 15 years, I would have I would have made you know a lot more money and, and been more even with less revenues doing work for the customers that were a better fit, right? Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing more empowering to an employee. I remember there was one guy that you know uh, said that uh, a, an employee didn't didn't sign up for the medical plan, and and the employee had approached them, and the and the, and the guy had whatever it was, the employee had given the guy all the medical forms. He never turned it in, but he said he did, and he wrote an email to the, you know, and this guy was constant, you know, these situations were coming up. He sort of income always blaming our team, and, and he wrote the email like. You effing, you know, terrible language writing it. And, and you know, you're so incompetent and I can't believe, you know, how did Bruce even let, and I looked at her and she was afraid that I, she was going to get fired. She was great. All the other customers. I said, I'm going to send him an email today. He, this, uh, we'll give him, we'll give him our, his 60 day. We have 60 day notice. He'll get her eyes like lit up, you know, like, really, you're going to take my side. And this is, you know, I know, I know you, this guy is constantly blaming everything on everybody else. Right. You know, you probably have that in construction, you know, like, you know, that you did everything according to, and this guy goes, oh, you didn't do that. Well, you gave us the wrong, you know, it's your fault, but, but, you know, blame guys so we get it, get it redone or redone yeah. for free. And, and, and when you, when you support that employee, like their eyes just light up. So I've learned that, and that was a lesson that took me a long time. Cause just like Gary said, in the beginning, you, you kind of look at people and say, Hey, they're the customer. Customer's always right. You got to do everything for the customer. You know, don't good, go against good, the customer. good point. How many how many great teammates will you lose in your in your business, 100%. right? If you're serving not so great customers, so you have to right? you have to you have to take care of your customers, but you have to take care of your employees yeah. too. It's a very interesting. You're balance. not going to have any customers without great employees. I first. agree. That's the key point, right? If you take good care of your employees, you're going to your your customers will be happy. Also, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great point. And and uh, you know, so so where do you where do you go from here, Bruce? Your business is growing, continue to grow. So and I think the big leader. thing that I've done, and I and I've learned this the hard way, is as I looked uh, to um, to bring in some succession as we were growing, I wanted to really bring in a team that could, you know, wasn't just, you know, we wanted to get to that level. When you're in the service business, you don't want it to be just about you. You know, you want to get to that level where it's about the, the company. Um, I brought in two teams from the outside against my YPO group's advice and everything. Uh, it was not good. You bring in these big company, you know, you bring in these people that work for big corporations, you know, and they don't understand entrepreneurship. They don't understand the culture. They try to change these. We brought in one team that was from a big company. I'll leave it, the name out there. Uh, I brought in two people from this company. Actually, three people came in and right away they're like, you know what? We got to spend less time on the, on site with customers. We could do more just by like, you know, more like a machine. And my people like to go out there and walk around the company. They like to they like to know what's going on. The customers like that. She was like all about just this efficiency model. And, and I started losing some of my customers, started losing my employees. And so finally, I, I after three, twice of this, two, two year contracts, four years of this, I finally said, I got two really good stars, Salo that I mentioned before, the one that walked across Albania and, and, and Tanya Yankles, our, Yankles, our CFO, 
They were they were ready to leave. Actually, one of them had already resigned. I said, no, you're not. I'm getting rid of the team. I'm giving you guys. They were 37 years old. I said, give me a chance. Prove yourself for years. And they they just knocked it out of the park. As a matter of fact, we got this thing called ricochet employees, which is where employees ricochet. that left under the old regimes they see now that you're you're hiring from within and the team there they, they come back. That's a real oh. it's such a motivator for your your employees when they see somebody come back. So we have about six or seven of them come back. My executive team now out of the seven. Three of them are ricochet employees. So the last three years have been really good. I've been getting out of the day-to-day. Um, uh, so I was actually just been approved for YPO. Um, and, and he truly is a president. Um, I'm, I'm letting them do that. That was a, a transition that I wanted. I felt it was good for the growth. I'm there just for vision. Um, I'm, I'm really staying out of uh, letting them make the day-to-day. Matter. If we open an office in Milwaukee, and every, I had to fight everything, you know, Gary, you know, we're, all, we're detail guys. Yeah. You wanna, I said, you pick the site. I'll go the first day we have our grand opening. I'll see it. They did a beautiful job. I mean, really, it's a, it's a perfect location. They didn't overdo it. It's a nice office, but it's not overly nice. It's and and I let them do that, right? And I think you got to do that. I think you got to delegate that if you want to bring up a key teams to do that. You, you got to let them fail. I often uh, tell the story that Stephen Jobs, who I think you know was a great entrepreneur, uh, when he first came out with the the iPhone, the first iPhone. It's a known fact. His engineer made a small engineering flaw. If they made a million phones, they had to recall them all and uh, redesign it. He came in uh, with his resignation to Stephen Jobs. And Stephen Jobs said, why would I fire you now? I just spent $2 million on your education, you know? And I think, <laughs> you know, I think that's a lesson, right? you got to give people the chance to make mistakes and to, and to do the thing. You can't be watching over them. And uh, I've been, you know, really, and I'm, I'm enjoying watching them develop. It's not easy for an entrepreneur to, to sort of, to sort of do like that. Now. It's very difficult sometimes. Um, you have to bite your tongue. And uh, as I say to somebody, the, I go into meetings sometimes, I have to take a glass of water. And then when I walk out of the meeting, I swallow it. <laughs> uh, but, um, but that's what you got to do. You got to let them, uh, I let them sit in some of the executive meetings. Salo sits in that chair. And, and, and uh, he even yelled at me uh, two meetings ago, which was fine. You know, he asked all of us to, to bring uh, somebody to the meeting. I had forgotten. And it, it was done in the right way. But if you really want to develop leaders, you got to give them a chance to lead, right? You can't just mm-hmm. you can't make them restrained. So that's been a big change for me, and I and I think um, it's it's good for the organization and it's good for me personally because now I can focus. I'm a grandfather now, you know. I can focus on um, other things that I'm involved in, whether it's politics, whether it's whether it's things in the in the in the community. I'm joining, you know. I want to get on the economic council for Illinois. I want to help be there driving things, and I can really feel that. A lot of the day-to-day stuff are being handled uh, uh, the way. So you, you could take up. my spot there. I've been wanting to get. I, I'm involved. I'm on, I'm on the economic uh, council for for Illinois, right. and Todd Mesh is an awesome guy. Right, the guy right. who leads it. And and uh, but I but I haven't had time lately with a lot of stuff going. on. Right. In my so life. I think I think that's that's something that you know so, at, at this stage, it's it's a broader picture. So that that was a. Um, it took a long time to get that right thing. It's yeah. not easy for not easy to find the right fit. I will tell you that if you can if you can develop people from within. It really is magical. It is magical to watch people that have really grown up in a company. They understand the culture. They understand what made mm-hmm. it good. Um, and if I could just stress one thing to entrepreneurs is develop people and and let them know that there is a place for them to grow in the company. They don't have to go to some big company in order to grow career wise. Let them know that you're you're gonna you're gonna try to grow from within. It's really a good message. Sure, you know, vision. Your, you know, your vision is is been a huge part of your growth in your business, right? For you, from you, from the first few employees to be able to tell them where you think you're going and why you want them on board, right? right? For the opportunity to grow. 
and from from where you're at today, right? How do you and your leaders now talk about where you're where you've been and the opportunities that have been there for this this 30 years and where you're going in the future? If you can get if you can get your teammates to to, to visualize that, right, and and then communicate with them on, on how they feel. Are you feel like you're being you're you're being challenged? You feel like there's opportunity here. Um, that's that's probably the biggest challenge we have is 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 communicating with every team member on a consistent enough basis to understand, you know, do they understand the the, the vision? Do they understand where their opportunities are within the vision, right? Because if they don't, vision doesn't mean anything. You and I could have all the vision in the world, but if 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 they're not understanding it, buying into it, and seeing their place in the vision, it doesn't really matter, right? So I mean, for 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 your business, you, you've I know you've you've done a lot of that, and in, in the future. You got to you've got to have the confidence in your team that they can do that without you, right? If you're not there, are, are they expressing the vision, the story as well as you do, right? You feel like you got that covered. You got we're, you're, we're working you're, hard on that. Yep. <laughs> and I just want to sit, make a make a make a make a moment just to thank Gary Rabine because not only have you personally been an example for me in a in a light out there, but you are somebody that um, really uh, cares about people, which is really critical. You love people. You care about them. I watch how you develop people. You have ideas. You don't just talk about ideas. You're not a complainer. You, something needs to be fixed. Let's get it fixed. And uh, it's That's amazing. Right. Everybody that I've sent to work with you to talk to you comes back like it's like a, it's almost like a cult. You know, like <laughs> I'm officially a Ravenite. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> you know, I think you should like, make a term. You know, like a Ravenite. You know what I mean? But it is something I can't explain to people. I say That's it's infectious, nice and you know, and and it's really something. Um, and I and I and it's so funny because. You don't personally have the the political, uh, you know, you're not doing this because I want to be the governor, you know. You're doing it because you really just care about people and you want to just improve things. And that's actually the most authentic thing in the world, right, is that it comes out as just somebody that, hey, I'll get this done. And I, I think that we lack that in the world today because people are very kind of focused on themselves. I met a wealthy guy, a friend of mine, who also did very well, and he told me he wanted to buy an island. I said, that's your, that's your like... Retirement goal to buy an I am on one bridge and I control it, you know. <laughs> I said, that's not what you got to do. You got to take your money that was given to you from the guy above who who gave you an allowance. You know, I, I said, money I like is like money right. is like manure. It's no good if you don't spread it around, uh, right? I like it. And and I said, you were given this money, make a change in the world. Like, don't yeah. just go run off to some island. That's that's not the way it should be. Get out there and get involved and use your influence and your money and use it in a way to make the world a better place, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Gary Rabine has just exemplified that in every everything that, well, you, that he's yeah. done. And I, I want to just compliment you on that. Whether it's the ditch digger, uh, you know, uh, you know, the ditch digger on, online uh, um, uh, presence, or 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 just your infectious way of of um, of always uh, being involved in so many things well you know and i'm i'm uh, I've, i'm not I, i've been selfish in my life like anybody i've been stupid in my life like anybody right but i'm i'm, I'm smart enough that that i can understand that to, in, in in this world we really want to really want to do something that that makes a difference right you know it, it comes with unselfishness it comes with you know how do we serve others to, to make it a better place how do, how do we impact the world before we leave this world right and i think as we get to be older we think more that way i don't know that i was that that way I was a younger guy, uh, you know. I was out. I was. I was worried about, you know, raising my family and and making sure that I could I can afford to do all the right things, send them to school and all that. 
But but again, I think there's a point in your life where hopefully you start getting it, and maybe I've started to get it right. Yeah. Where, where Listen, I, you're going to cure cancer. You're going to yeah. Gonna, that'd, that'd be, that'd but, be nice to be part and, of. That and too. how you've handled you know the challenges that have come to you and your family. It's amazing. We're all rooting for you. We're all praying for you. And 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 the and the it's just it's a it's a resolve. It's that resiliency. It's that inner strength. Um, and, and you know, it, 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 it's just something that we just lack out there. Some, it's character, some, but something I believe it, it comes from Bruce, and you got it. And and I, I think I'm 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 beginning to get it as I continue to get older. Is is our faith, right? Right. If we if we really really love our faith and love our families and love our communities, right? It probably comes from something above us, right? Who we are. It's it's what it's it's that the God that we believe in, whoever that God is, right? And if we don't have that in our lives, I'm telling you, when I didn't have that in my life as a younger guy. I, I enjoyed life. I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was doing things I did, and I, I was looking for the next fun thing. But I think when when you, when you have a serious faith in your life that you believe in, right? Whether you're whether you're whether you're Jewish, Catholic, uh, Christian, Ep- Episcopalian, Muslim, whatever you are, I, I think that that's the key, right? And and if we if we know the that the key thing is whether life has meaning or whether life is just haphazard, yeah, right? Yeah. And if you believe life has meaning, then you realize you're just here for a very in the whole spectrum of the world, you're here for a short period of time, and you you can't. You can't just let it. You can't just let it go by. You you have a job to do, and 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 and. Yeah, would you all, say we're kind of? Re- would, you, would you say renting the space? Would you say? Yeah, we're 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 giving an allowance from allowance. above. There and, you go. You're right. And it's, we it's have to we have to spend it right. You know, it's a. Uh, you know, yeah. we're 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 blessed every day. You know, we get up just the way you probably do. We we're taught to say a prayer every morning. We wake up. Thank you for giving me another day to to be here in this world and and to make a difference, right? And to and and uh, we can't just. Fritter that away and um, and, uh, and not take advantage okay, of it. And I want to say one more thing. You, what you do and, and what I do nowadays, I didn't always do again, right, is gratitude you have when you pray at night and when you pray in the morning, right? right? And if, you pray, if you pray 10 times a day and, and with my situation my, and my wife, I pray a lot more than I've ever prayed in my life. But what, what do you do? You, 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 you pray with gratitude and thankfulness, right? And if you can, if you can, if you can get up every day with gratitude— you're you're a way more positive person than not even thinking about all the blessings we have in our lives, 100%. right? And I don't care who you are. Many people grow up in terrible environments with with a lot of tough times, right? But you can always find blessings when you look at look at the you know people. There's always people that have a lot worse than we do, yep. or, or or anybody, right? And, and I think if if a person can always find the blessings, and I can tell you examples of that, you know, and you can too. People that we know have had a tough the toughest lives you can imagine, and yet they, they wake up every day talking about their blessings and, and and praying praying and thanking for their blessings, right? That's amazing because they end up to be very very strong willed people that get through everything. You talk about grit and adversity. These people are the champions, right? They may not be rich, they may not be powerful in in, in the world of 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 the of this earth, right? But they're powerful in, in in the real world, right? One thing I teach my kids on a gravestone, I can't tell you when the when the death date's going to be, but I can, you know, you get this born date and the death date. <laughs> but the one thing is that dash in the middle, yeah. <laughs> and what you do with that dash I in the middle, it. that's your it. that's your challenge. I yeah. love it. And you better make that dash the best dash you can make that dash, okay? Yeah, yeah. Whatever that time is, make that dash worth, you know? Oh, and yeah. um, and that's what I teach them, man. I think that we, if we all could just do that, we could really make this world a better place. I love it. I love it. You know, that's uh, that's that's why we're buddies because I love I love hanging out with you and 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 listening to the, thing, the way you think. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, I'm I'm excited to get this this podcast out to to people out there all over the place because there's a lot of a lot of nuggets here, right, Q? Man, this is really but, inspiring, buddy. Wait, well, I just well, the one question okay. I forgot right. to ask yeah. before I want to get you know if there's anything you had to say too, throw yeah. it in there. But 
I mean, you know, when we we always like to ask, right? I, I believe your story is a great American story, right? And 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 I, I don't I think that uh, you know I don't think that this is there's a finite number of success that can be had out there. I believe that if people look at it as as you can do it on your own, it, there's because Bruce Leon's successful or Gary Rabine has some success, right? That it's limited now, and I don't and and I believe that it's abundant in this country of America. We have opportunity like no other country right. in the world, and the more abundance and success and entrepreneurship and, and imagination and innovation we have in our country, the more we serve the rest of the world, and and the better our country is and the world is, right? So in America, we have these opportunities like no no other country to to solve problems and to do great things and build businesses. I believe that it's a, there's an abundance of that, right? It's not like it's limited. And, and when, I, when I think of you, I think, you know, uh, you know your, your story is one of those, that you built this business, other people will have followed you and, and try to mimic you, right? And, and, they're, you know, and God bless them, they're, they're, they'll have their success, right? What's your opinion on, on again, the Mer- your American story? Could you have done it anywhere else? You know, could you have done this in, in, in anywhere else in the world, any country you can think of? And, and, and what, are the, you know, what are the blessings of America in your eyes? You know, America has that, that's, it has such a vast resource to become a great company. And one thing that I love about my business is we service the small and mid-sized businesses. And I believe those are the businesses that are going to drive this train. It's not the big, big corporations. Mm-hmm. It's all the small businesses that are out there. You know, when I delivered my newspapers, mowed the lawns, and I, and I paved driveways, I looked at anybody with a little bit of money I say, wow, how they do that? Rob, right. they must make a uh, hundred thousand a year to, to build that, to that nice house and that nice car. Or well, golly, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing driveways. I'm making it big at one point, and I'm in my mid twenties. I'm doing driveways on the North Shore. Man, this guy must make a million bucks a year to have that house on the lake and that and that and those two Mercedes in the garage. Must make a million bucks a year, right? How do they do that? But but that 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 inquisitive nature is what sparked my ability to right. think differently about how I can grow what I do, right? And, and I think that it, it's that it's the adm- admiration for work ethic, admiration for innovation ideas that 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 creates entrepreneurs that I know and myself, right, and you. And and, and that's if we all thought like that instead of, damn, who the hell, who the heck did they, did they, did they, did they, right. you know, screw over? <laughs> this is part of my language, but screw over for that for the, for that nice house. They must abuse people in the, as far as employees and, and teammates, right? But boy, that's not usually the case. Usually, as you have served your customers at the highest level you can, the best service, the best product that you could produce, right? Service and serving others is what's created your success. And, and, and give them a reward for taking a risk, right? I mean, they have to be, there has to be a reward for taking a risk. It can't be that, you know, 75% taxation, so you work until September 30th until the first dollar you make for yourself. Is That's just not going to, that's going to stagnate the growth of this country. Yeah, it's going to stagnate the innovation. It's going to stagnate mm-hmm. the development. And we have to be careful. We, 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 we could we could make, you know, I see us coming to some very critical junctures in the next, 10 or 15 years, and I and I hope and pray that, you know, when you hear when you hear people talk about the word socialism, right? I thought we left that behind, you know, after the collapse of all these, you know, when Animal Farm made that statement that all pigs are equal except some pigs are more equal than other pigs, you know. We thought we finally got past that whole socialistic model of everything. And now we're hearing it come back again, right? And <clears throat> we have a generation that's starting to think that, you know, that that's, that's, that's a better way. It's, maybe it's okay, right? And, and it's, it's absolutely a failed philosophy. We need capitalism. We need entrepreneurship. We need free enterprise. That is what's going to make this country great and continue to be great. And we need to make sure our young people understand that. 100%. You can't have, you can't have uh, entrepreneurship and, and uh, 
and, and all this innovation, all these great things that we teach in schools, right? We do teach entrepreneurship and we do teach innovation and, and, and technology is a beautiful thing and we teach all these things. But none of them, none of them are, 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 are successful without a free enterprise system. And thank you, Gary, for all the work you've done with Turning Point and with Charlie, because we finally have another voice on college campuses that at least is presenting a different a different side of the story. Yeah, Charlie's, Charlie's, <coughs> Charlie and his organization are unbelievable. We're having, having a lot of fun with that. But all right, well, hey, you know what? Again, we didn't get into politics at all, did we here? <laughs> right, we just, skirted around it. We skirted around it. We skirted around it. it. Okay, we kept good. it business. All right, all right, kept it Ditch business. diggers. But you, know, but you know what? Hey, I, I, I do believe that, you know, you know culture is uh, is built on, on uh, you know, I should say culture um, delivers uh, delivers our our, uh, our politics too, right? And, and, and our, our, the culture we believe in is, is entrepreneurship and free enterprise. And, and if that's crushed, our, our our political world does change, and and boy, that we talk we took we talk entrepreneurship. We got to talk a little bit about it because you know it's a dangerous world. We li- we're going to live in if we're a socialist world. And Correct. Entrepreneurship dies, and I you know mm-hmm. so I I like I said we don't want to go deep in politics. We kind of did here, but you know what? I, I think in some cases it makes sense. Right. We, we talk about it and don't, don't Next shy show. away from it. But uh, Q, um, go ahead. Yeah, so I got some amazing Quentin true takeaways, and and Bruce, man, you you uh, you definitely delivered. I'll tell you that. It's a couple of things for you guys. One, he started off, uh, and the stories were phenomenal. But uh, the first one, a good salesman always makes more. You know that that was actually key. I wrote that down first. This one of the other things you said, and through the stories, when you're an entrepreneur, you must think on your feet. And you gave us uh, some amazing stories to showcase that. You know. Uh, going door to door for the for the liquor that's phenomenal you know uh but but what what uh, and i see it through your veins man but resilience resilience is important for long-term success and that's huge and then of course when we get into the business piece you know two things you said define who your ideal customer is identify who your good employees are and spend more time with them both and for you guys, to be honest, that's extremely critical because that's really the lifeblood of your business. Um, a couple of things here, too. If you want to grow key players, you have to let them fail. That's mm-hmm. huge. you know. And then I would agree and I attested to it. Maybe I'm, in, I'm part of the family, but uh, be a Rabenite. That's extremely <laughs> imperative to your success, it seems like. Uh, but more importantly, and this is for all of you all, and he hit it to it, and I knew exactly what he meant, but uh, make your dash last, for sure. So, Bruce, man, that was that was pretty good. Really, really Thank good, you, actually. And, and, Great and, to be here. And the one thing you, talk, you, you, know, you mentioned, the sales side. You know, Bruce, is, he's an amazing salesman. I've seen him around hundreds of people in a room, and, and everybody, in the, if it's an hour or two, maybe everybody in the room doesn't know him. But 90, 90, of, 90 of them do out of 100. If, if he's got an hour and a half, they all know him. And they've all talked to him a couple of times. That, and, and, and it's not like he's, he's like out there in your face. He's just like a gentleman walking around. Hey, how are you? You know, Bruce Leon. Hey, you know, hey, I met you one other time. And then he goes the next guy. I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time. I get caught up because I get on subject and I'll talk to a person for a whole hour, right? Yeah, Bruce has been around the around the room twice by that time, yeah. <laughs> and, and so so you know when it comes to understanding relationship building and sales, this guy's the best. And if you help somebody else, don't I always tell my sales good, just help people. Well, that's about and that's, that, that's right? what you're always constant. That's yeah. what you say, hey, how can help I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you? 
So no, hey, uh, I, I love having you. I, I remember I had show, my good so. friend Yishai Broner and he called me with an insurance issue. I said, call up Gary Rabine. He'll figure it out and you solve his problems. And, <laughs> and we're now he's now. now a good buddy and he's on to the whole drone thing. And and uh, and he's he's always telling me, Gary's amazing. So, but again, it all starts from all somebody just calling you. I, I, I'll tell you one last, you know, just, I don't know anything about cars. Gary knows the Teslas. He knows how to, I don't know, I'm not a car guy. When, when a, a, once I got a call from a customer, and he said, I'm in a car showroom, and I want to ask you, do you find, should I finance, should I lease, or should I pay cash? And I told somebody later on, I don't know anything about cars. The fact that the guy thought, I'm going to call Bruce Leon and just see what he thinks, you know? Huh. That's a good sign. When mm. people think you're just an honest resource, right? Yes. I just want to throw something out at you. What do you think? You know what I mean? Then nice. you've like won people over, right? And I think that's authentic. It's not just, you know. I want you for your sale. You know, I'm, I, I want to care about you. And you ask me any question. If you ask me something, you know, where's the best place to find a nanny for? And I'll try to find, figure it out for you and help oh, yeah. you. Even I don't make any money with that, right? <laughs> but I think, and you've been amazing with that too. And what you're doing to solve cancer for people, you know, this is really stuff that, but if you're authentic with people and helping them, mm -hmm. then it all, what goes around comes around. So I think that is part of the, the whole thing of, of getting to know people is really trying to be yeah, a resource. That, you know, building network just isn't about is yeah. about yourself. It's about it's about what you can do for others, and and in doing stuff for others, it's you're you're really feeding yourself, right? And, and, yeah. So, anyways, it's been so enjoyable. Thank you guys for inviting me on. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you, man. And we'll see you all next time on Ditch Diggers CEO. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share it with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck rolling down highways. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.